I did an eyebrow wiggle. Hmm? Yeah. This is going to be the best book you ever read. Like, this is your new favorite book. Off the internet, man. Oh, I need to go be an introvert. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome to Books in the City. I'm Kayla. I'm Becky. I'm Libby. I'm Emily. And I'm Benny, also known as Gilmore Gay. Yay! we're so excited we're so excited about this benny um so if you guys don't know about gilmore gilmore gay on tiktok um benny's known for his kind of like rants about gilmore girls as well as friday night dinner live streams which are my favorite personally where everybody who's watching on the live turns on the same episode of gilmore girls and just chats and it's so fun and (laughs) now there's gonna be a podcast yay Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about how this whole journey started for you? You know, it's really funny. So when the pandemic hit, I I had two bookings because I'm a theater. um, I'm an actor. And I was about to say I'm a theater major, but no more. Uh, That's long gone. Um, But I'm an actor. Wait, musical theater or do you do plays? Both, actually. I do both. And I had one booking with a show called Forever Plaid. Um, which they put me as a first tenor. So it might be a blessing in disguise that's been pushed. Um, and then another with um, a play called Boys in the Band, which actually Netflix just turned into a movie um, from the stage production. Oh, cool. So oh, right. w- those two were pushed into 2021. And I had this little bit of existential crisis. That I'm sure we all did where I was like, I don't want to do the things I was supposed to do. I'm done with that. And I was like, I'm going to be a YouTube personality. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to create like an anxiety channel. This went beautifully, <laughs> as you can tell, because no one knows what it is. Um, <laughs> and so I did it for like a filming. And like, I was in a terrible mood all the time. And I was living with my family at the time. So I was like, I'm filming right now. So like, just everyone. And it's just <laughs> a travesty. And so... I did this YouTube channel for about maybe five or six weeks and I just saw the views go down and I was like, this is embarrassing. Like, this is not even something I want to continue. This is awful. And so I got on TikTok and I was like, you know what? Uh, Everyone's talking about TikTok. I have my own little TikTok, but like I put random videos and no one sees. I'm going to do some silly video and I'm going to start a brand new account. I'm going to call it Gilmore Gay. And I'm just going to do a how Lorelai would deal with COVID-19 TikTok. And I was like, no one's going to see it, but like, I'll feel good about myself and I don't care. And like, I put hashtags in, I was like, whatever. And I woke up the next morning and it was at 30 views. And I was like, oh, cool. People watched it, but like, whatever. And then the next day I had a hundred followers and I was like, gross, (laughs) what? And then four days later, because I was like, I guess I have to do more videos because people like this because I commented too. I was like, I've never had followers. Um, And then I did more videos. And then I did a video on Rory Gilmore and how entitled that she was. And Mm -hmm. Lord have mercy. (laughs) This video started to just go. And my sister called me and she was like, Benjamin? it's happening. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, go look at your video. (laughs) And I was like, what's going on? She was like, I don't know, but like, you're getting like 200 views every two minutes. And I'm like, what (laughs) is going on? And so (laughs) 
from that, um, it really grew and it's now at almost 30K followers in about two and a half months. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So we should have introduced you as Gilmore Gay, the viral sensation. I mean, like, duh. (laughs) So like, I'm offended and yeah. Oh my gosh. Also, musical theater and Gilmore Girls. I can see why Becky found you on TikTok. Hey, <laughs> yeah, that's her Venn diagram. <laughs> oh, Mine too. Really? Yeah, a little bit. Not that I can sing or be a part of musical theater in any way other than a fan, but I'm still here for it. Hey, now I'm a vocal coach. We can change oh, that real get out quick. There, Becky. Oh, Let's Ooh. do it. I have to. I have to. I have to go off script and ask you if you're participating and this is only for people um who know anything about tiktok the the girls on the podcast don't know what i'm about to ask you but <laughs> okay. are you going to participate in the um ratatouille tiktok musical what is that apparently i'm not you don't well know either in tiktok like i've got no, my gilmore but that's the- it <laughs> no and you made the wrong assumption because that popped up on my instagram okay oh, and I was like, oh. <laughs> emily are you a part of it <laughs> i'm playing like- the third rat <laughs> <laughs> right. okay. it's like this giant viral joke that like they're they're gonna make a, t- a musical of of ratatouille and like people are writing oh, songs for it oh, no. and like people are are like dressing up as the characters and they're like i am remy i'm oh, obsessed what i saw Amazing. the like lin-manuel miranda inspired version of remy that's what oh, came yeah, up on my good. instagram didn't mean to super detract from the combo there. I'm all about detract. So completely. <laughs> okay. So also on the TikTok um, convo, what is it like to be TikTok famous? Okay. So it's incredibly, it's, believe me, it is wonderful. I thank God every day about it, <laughs> but I will not lie. It is so stressful because of the comments that not only come from the videos, but my inbox. And it's not even comments of like, hey, I just want you to know how much we appreciate you. Like, those are awesome, but they are actual conversations that they're like, I want to talk about this. And I'm like, is this appropriate? Like, I don't know if I can, if I can do this in like a private sense. Um, the notifications I think are astronomical. I will wake up and this sounds like I'm being like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I will wake up to 99 plus every morning. And I'm like, still where this is still going on. They care. It's only going to get better. Apparently. <laughs> or worse. Um, <laughs> Or worse, depending on how you look at it, you're gonna walk down the street and be like, "Please, no pictures." (laughs) Please, no pictures. It is I. (laughs) (laughs) What's funny? Because I would look at James Charles when I was like starting to like try and become a YouTube star, and I'd be like, "Whatever, James Charles, blah blah blah," and like having like these people just being like, "Oh my God, it's the Gilmore Gang," and I'm like, "Who? Oh me? Oh." cool okay um so yeah so in answer to your question it is scary and my anxiety is through the roof all the time with the responding because i just i feel like i need to respond Mm -hmm. i feel so bad if i Mm -hmm. don't but it's sometimes impossible when you get about well maybe revive that youtube channel and you can channel the anxiety you feel from tiktok (laughs) that's your your youtube channel be like the downside of viral (laughs) (laughs) life Life is not as easy as you think it is to be an influencer. Like it's just the I love it. You know I love it. We're making a joke about it, but I would watch that. <laughs> look, look, I'm gonna write it down on my fake pad. Like it's gonna happen. Um 
Okay. Can you tell us anything about the podcast? Anything specific or do you know our release date and kind of, and what is it going to be? So I'm really excited about it. Um, So it is going to be called the Gilmore Gay Pod. Um, I can't explain why, but I just liked the sound of it. That's the only inspirational story I have for this title. It's so inspirational that I'm like, I'm probably going to put up a video that's like, hey guys, what should I call my podcast? Because that's how much I'm like on the fence about this title. Um, But (laughs) it's going to be a fan-based podcast. And what that means is over the past two months, I have had fans of my TikTok sending in audition submissions to be a co-host with me per episode. So fun. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And I'm really, it's, I had, I was overwhelmed. I thought like maybe one or two, all of a sudden I've got like a hundred that are finding a video of mine and duetting it, putting in their like opinions and their personality. Yeah. Um, I selected 12 for this first season, um, which was a feat in and of itself because everybody was so freaking talented and had so much personality and so many things to say um and what will happen is they will talk to me about their favorite episode and that is what we will talk about is we'll basically be their favorite and us ranting about that together i love that i can't wait to listen i'm really excited and the release date it's going to be in december um, I don't want to give an exact date because I, I can already tell if I were to be like December 19th, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> like, that's just how life goes. So it will be in mid-December. Yay, congrats. So excited. Yes. Perfect Gilmore Girls watching season for me personally. Oh, completely. Oh, for me as well. Definitely. Yeah. So I was wondering, um, if you had a favorite episode of the show. I do actually. Um, so it's in the first season. I'll give my nerd alert now. Um, now. Um, I can name the number of it and I'll explain later of like why I have this talent. It's not that I'm this weirdo. It's that it was the only TV that was on at my house for years. <laughs> um, but it is the eighth episode of the first season. It's called Love and War and Snow. And I love this episode because it's the very first time that we see snow in Stars Hollow. But I think the reason why I love it the most is I kind of love like disaster situations, but only snow related, not political, not tornadoes, none of that, but snow. Just the blizzard. I love the blizzardy feel of it. It's so warm. It's so nostalgic. And just seeing Lorelai's love for snow is very much like me and my mom's relationship. And so, yeah. So whenever we watch this episode, she'll be like, it's our episode. And it's just the sweetest moment. So yeah. That's the one where she's like, I smell snow. And she's got the little snowflake hat. And she like goes wandering into the street, right? She finds Max Medina, which I'm a Max Medina fan. And it's apparently a lot more common than I knew to be a Max Medina fan. Um, the one that got away. The one that got away, you know? It's just rude is what it is. But we like Luke. We do. We like him. We do. <laughs> um, which character is your favorite and why? So it changes. Um, when I was younger, I was actually like, I love Rory and I love Lorelai because <laughs> they were on the box. Like, that's all I thought was I was like, they're the leads of the show and therefore I should love them. But I will tell you guys, with my woke ass, I will tell you, it is 
more and more a twist between Paris Geller and Emily Gilmore. I just love how honest that they are and how true that they are. Even if Emily might be mistaken in some situations, she's so unapologetically blunt about her life. And I love that. And I aspire to be like that, to be honest. <laughs> I would agree with that because I feel like Lorelai and Rory started out as the protagonist. You're like, they're so fun and quirky and like they eat so much food, but they are like gorgeous. <laughs> and you're like, wow, they, they have all these witticisms and that's unfair too because they're so pretty. And you're just like, exactly. I want to be just like them. <laughs> and then you realize they don't have like a ton of growth over the course nope. of six years. And then you're like, oh yeah, Grandma Gilmore, Emily Gilmore like grew a little over the story arc Paris grew so much so in terms of entertainment value they're way more fun to watch in the long term and they're so beautifully written those characters I can tell that ASP um A.B. Sherman Palladino for those that are listening that don't know who I'm talking about the creator of the show and writer you can tell that she really loves those two characters and actually Um, Lisa Wheel, I believe that's how you pronounce her name, but I'm sure my Gilmore fans will be like, no, that's not it. And so my apologies in advance. Um, She originally auditioned for the role of Rory Gilmore and she's so not Rory Gilmore, but ASP loved her so much that they were like, we're going to write a character for this girl. Like she is that freaking good. And so I think it's pretty awesome that that character is as tremendous as it is and has that amazing of an arc that she does. so yeah. And she appears in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel too. She does. And she is also Bonnie on How to Get Away with Murder. And I was just gonna say that's how she's I a know beast her. and that haircut is correct. So it's yeah. correct. I <laughs> <laughs> love that. Okay, I feel like this is maybe a controversial question just because people I know who watched it. Um in three words, what did you think of a year in the life? In three words. <laughs> in three words. Oi with the poodles. <laughs> <laughs> you only gave me three. So like, that's all I can say. The full phrase is Oi with the poodles already. It was just, it's so interesting to me, this revival. I watched it in 2016 and I said, I'll never watch that again. I will never do it. And then the pandemic hit. And then once again, like I said, I was like, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. But then my mother wanted to watch it again when I was staying with them. And I was like, no, it is as bad as I thought. So it just goes back and forth. Um, I make this joke with my followers that like the filter of the camera was different and that's why it bugs me, but it's true. It is true. Every time I talk to Becky about why Gilmore Girls is so comforting to me, it has a lot to do with the sepia tone of CW and like the la 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 like right? music and like the kind of like grainy like and like the big coffee mugs and like the chunky sweaters yeah. and the doc martens and it's just like sepia tone and it's so cozy and then when they were in 4k ultra hd i was like why <laughs> no I i'm just gonna say this real quick because i know that we will we could go on and on about a year in the life um i the book i'm talking about on today's episode um is Lauren Graham's book and she talks about how she loved going back to the character and now I feel like I need to rewatch Year in the Life knowing the things that I know about how she felt about it and I feel like I might like it a lot more than the first time around. You know I love that you brought that up because that is exactly how I felt when I so I listened to the book um she does an audio and she Mm -hmm. reads it herself 
Um, I cried all the way listening through it. Yeah. Like I was just so inspired. Her love for this character made me so happy because you know, there are some people that do roles and that you're in love with and they talk about them as if it was like a really cool lotion they bought at Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> like it doesn't mean anything to them, you know? And so to yeah. hear that she is as passionate about it, I was like, okay, great. Uh, I just love that you care as much as all of us do. Um, so I agree with you completely. Um, if you could recast the original show, like if it was coming out now this year, who would you recast and who would you keep the same? Ooh, that's a really hard question. Um, I don't want to be this guy, but I think the joy and the amazingness about this show is that not only is it beautifully written, but it's beautifully cast. I just mm -hmm. wouldn't. And I know that that's like, oh, okay, next. But like, I can't imagine anyone playing these characters because every, like, they're so iconic. They're so iconic. That's like saying, hey, what would you, would you recast Schitt's Creek and who would David Schitt be? And I'd be like, Dan Levy wrote that character. That's blasphemy. That's how I feel with that. I can't. It's... No. I'm so sorry. It's as if it's my child. Yeah. I'm just like, I, I don't have a favorite child. Maybe it could get one of those like, <laughs> like rewrites, kind of like Heather's, like a redo that's like basically the same story arc, but different people in yeah. the time right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't even know the actor's name, but I would definitely for, I wouldn't actually put her as Laura like Gilmore, like a lot of other people have said, but I would put, is her name Rachel Bowes, who plays mm. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Uh, What's her name? Rachel oh, Bloom. Rachel Bloom? Yeah. Rachel Bloom? Bowes. <laughs> what, who am I? Um, I would put her as Suki St. James. I can't explain it, but there's this neuroticness about her that I love. Um... And yeah, I really suck at this question. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah. I really so yeah. here's the top one. What is your favorite Stars Hollow town festival or event? Because for those of you who don't know, Gilmore Girls is all about like like doing things in the town. They always have these weird like like fundraisers or quirky small town dances and like everyone's got a personality and they always have these functions that the townspeople attend yep. yeah like if you've never watched gilmore girls a character in the show is stars hollow and there's so many weird weird things like the knit-a-thon for a new bridge yes like there's always something weird going on you know i would say for me it is the Bit of Basket Festival. Oh, I and I, th I think the reason why is it was one of the very first episodes I ever watched. So it has that sense of like home for me. Like this is where it started. But I love the concept. I love the old Oklahoma-ness <laughs> of it. In the musical of Oklahoma, they, they are bidding on baskets. Um, and they do the cute thing where whoever wins it gets to have the basket and eat with them and go on a date with them. And so I love this concept of it. It's got so much drama. You've got the character of Lane, who's Rory's best friend, who 
is getting her cousin to bid on her basket in front of her mother because her mother will not allow her to go on a date with anybody. And the only reason that she's doing this is so that her her cousin can be the decoy so she can go on a date with somebody else. And so it has all that conflict. And I just love it. I love it. Yeah, it's like CIA plotting every time Lane needs to leave the house. It really is. She Nothing is better than when Lane needed to get that CD from Michelle. Oh, wow, yeah. Nothing is better. Nothing. I agree. <laughs> also, Michelle running in a jogging suit? What? No. Yeah, we needed more of him, I think. We needed more of him entirely. Yes. Michelle, pretty please. Okay. So we're going to move on to the rapid fire round okay. of questions. And we're going to try and keep it rapid. So kind of, you can you can tangent <laughs> if you want, but... Okay. We've got a lot, and I'm really proud of these questions. So Kayla's going to start us off. Okay, join the Chilton Boosters or join the DAR. Join the DAR. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, which random Lorelai boyfriend, Digger or Alex? Alex. Okay. Fuck, Mary, kill Jess, Dean, or Logan. Ooh. Okay. So we will kill. You said Dean, Jess, or Logan, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to kill Dean. Yeah. We're going to marry Jess, and we're going to – I know I have uh, – my mother will listen to this, so we're going to <laughs> F um, <laughs> um, Logan. Wow. Love it. That's okay. I have to probably agree with that. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, also, like, we're going to F Matt Zucri. Just want to point that out real quick. Okay. <laughs> All right. Would you go on a double date with Paris and Asher or go on a double date with Kirk and Lulu? Kirk and Lulu. Oh, my gosh. Kirk and Lulu completely. (laughs) Take a dance class at Miss Patty's or attend a town hall. Uh, A town meeting. Attend a town meeting. And bring fries. (laughs) Oh, completely. Okay. This just says Luke or Max. Luke or Max. Oh, oh, you rude. Um... (laughs) Oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I have to do it. Max, I know. I know. I knew it. I know. You hear the internet (laughs) screaming. They're like, what? I will unsubscribe. (laughs) Okay. Be locked in a room with Taylor and Kirk or be forced to work a shift at Kim's Antiques. Ooh. um, uh, Taylor and Kirk. I don't think I can handle Mrs. Kim. I wouldn't be able to do it. Although I don't know what a shift would be like at Kim's and yeah, you might never find like... her. You might not. Yeah. You might just play Marco Polo the whole time. And then you get to look at like old dressers, and I'm on the See, hunt for home ch- decor. So me too. Maybe I want to change my answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. Attend a Friday night dinner with Gran, or attend a Friday night dinner with Jess. Oh, attend a Friday night dinner with Gran, actually. Okay, yeah, that mm-hmm. would be... Who wouldn't want to be there for the one-liners? Like, come on now. <laughs> and for Emily's reactions. Oh, yeah. Be invited to Rory Star's hollow birthday party or Lorelai's. Rory Star's hollow birthday party. Um, have your first kiss at Dosi's Market or in the gazebo? In the gazebo. Be followed around town by the Troubadour or Babette. Oh, Babette. <laughs> I love it. Okay, deep fried turkey and margaritas or Thanksgiving at Richard and Emily's? Deep fried turkey and margaritas. Deep fried shoe. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Anna Nardini or Christopher? Christopher. 
Mm-hmm. I kind of like him too. Al's Pancake World or Antonioli's? Al's Pancake World. I, sidebar, I always watched Al's Pancake World and I was like, why didn't I have like the random restaurant that just served like all kinds of food? I know. You did, it was called IHOP. <laughs> no, you can get Chinese takeout at the pancake place. You could get some, you could get a steak at IHOP. Yes, you could. But let me tell you something. The second that I see the IHOP is like, you can get egg foo young and be like, I'm done. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not charming. Uh, would you rather be best friends with Suki or best friends with Lane? <gasps> oh, that's so rude. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna pick Suki because I think that Lane would shame me for the amount of music that I don't know. She would educate me, but I think that she would shame me as well. I think she would. She's too good for us. <laughs> um, way too. All right, Dave or Zach? Dave. Oh, oh yeah. Sweet. Justice for Dave. <laughs> Justice for That's Dave. That's what it gets for getting ca- cast on the other show. The Ock. Oh! Anyway. <laughs> Eat at Luke's or have uh, Suki's cooking? Eat at Luke's. Same. Everyone, I think, with a Luke's diner mug would feel the same way. Yeah, my little coffee mug and just like it's the, the community. And I just know that me being best friends with Suki, she would make me food at her house anyway. Yeah, so. you're right. Cyber, when, when, like that. I did not drink that much coffee before I watched this show and then got it into my brain that I wanted to be like a local at a coffee shop. And so like in college, I couldn't really afford to like go to a coffee shop every day. But I'd be like, <laughs> hey, I'm here for a black coffee. And they didn't bite. Yeah. <laughs> And that's all because of too much binge Gilmore Girls. Hey, look, there are worse things. I used to be able to drink a lot of coffee. And then, I don't know, some things happened in our world over the past couple of years. And I was like, I'm going to quit the caffeine because my anxiety is yikes. So, but it used to be my thing. Okay, our last rapid fire for you is Yale or Harvard? Did you make the right choice? Ooh, um, I think she did make the right choice because I love Logan. So I am on the Yale train. Mm, I love uh-huh. it. Oh my gosh, this was so much fun. I know, this was so much fun. I feel like I could talk about Gilmore Girls forever. Honestly, and it's perfect timing because I looked and I was like, because <laughs> I was going to talk to you guys over the my laptop. I was like, my phone. Oh, what's that 7%? <laughs> Whoops. So... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I have to exit. He's putting his TikTok Insta famous shades over his eyes. He's like, please, please, no questions. No paparazzi. Please, just I can't handle it. I'll get my second I can't tell you what I think about Babette's cat. I can't tell you right now. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Benny, for joining us. Yeah, it was a blast. Thank you. I cannot wait. Thanks for coming on. Yes, it was a pleasure to meet you guys. Yeah. Good luck with your podcast. Thank you. Be listening. Oh, and we will, of course, link Gilmore Gay TikTok in the show notes. So, oh, thank you. Scroll down for new followers and follow Benny. Yes, you'll have a hundred plus notifications then. Yes, keep this train rolling. I'm (laughs) gonna take your word up for it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you guys. A few announcements, or I think like maybe just one. Um, the merch store is still open. We're kind of keeping it as like this living thing on our website, booksinthecitypod.com. So head over there for our mug, which is like gorgeous. 
our tarot cards, postcards, stationery, a bunch of fun stuff. Yeah, we'll be adding koozies back very soon and some new additions. Stay tuned. We also love seeing your pictures because they are so fun to watch the little new pieces of merchandise land in their forever homes. So that's been really fun. So if you received your merch and you're excited about it, definitely take a pic and send it our way because we love to see it. Love to see it. Kind of a tangent, but this is as of recording. um, We're on day three of waiting for election results. And it's been a wild week. Sure has. But I feel like I've been drinking more tea than I ever have. I'm having at least like two or three cups a day, which I never do. And I opened, I know we talked about the Simpson and Vale teas last time and we all took some of the literary teas home and I finally opened the um, Mary Shelley Frankenstein one and it is such a crazy tea. There's like cacao nibs in with green tea, and I've never had a flavor Whoa. like that. And I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> Wait, can cacao? you say cacao nibs? Again? How do you say it? <laughs> it's not cocoa. <laughs> no, it's just funny to me. It's just funny. Well, it's just I was a funny just like two words leading up to saying it. So thanks, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> say it one more time. Say crack one more time. So you love the tea, like, um, chocolatey, and I'm like, this is gonna be strange in a green tea but it is not strange and it's so good and i like have so many cups a day <laughs> i'm obsessed with it love that i'm over here still rocking the Edgar Allan poe one because genuinely it is just like a joy to brew because it steeps like pure is that red. The pink one? Yeah, red yeah yeah it, it's the one that has the beetroot powder in it and it tastes like like a beautiful earthy like earl gray so i've been drinking a lot of that probably contributing more to my caffeine intake than i thought i was but (laughs) the smell of it is like pure aromatherapy i'm obsessed i'm obsessed i'm obsessed i keep shoving it on my roommates i'm like have you do you see that my tea is red is that not wild to you and they're like cool 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 i know every time i make a cup i'm like smell this smell this bag just smell the leaves (laughs) i tried the Louisa May Alcott blend, I believe. Oh. And it has like strawberry flavors mm-hmm. in it. It's so good. Yeah. I can't get over how good this tea is. And is I'm it like, herbal? is the Louisa May? It's a green tea blend. Oh. Okay. I feel like their green teas are like unique. I've never, I mean, with the. Yeah, they're not like a straight the... green tea. Yeah. Yeah, they've got mixtures in them. It's so good. Um, so make sure you guys check out Simpson and Vale tea. The link is in our show notes um, and in our bio if you're on Instagram while you're listening and you you can get there faster. Um, But check them out. They are really awesome. And um, like we said before, they have coffee. They have little snacks. They have awesome gifts um, and teaware. Everything that you need for brewing the most perfect literary cup of tea. So check them out. Um, So should we talk about books? Yes. Wait, Becky, what did you read? All right. So I figured I'd stay on brand for me 
by staying on theme for today's episode. <laughs> um, so I'm talking today about talking as fast as I can from Gilmore Yay. Girls to Gilmore Girls by Lauren Graham. It came out in 2017. And first of all, I loved it. I, I kind of gave a little bit of a, um, a heads up that I was going to talk about this earlier when we were chatting with. Quick question. Yes. When did Gilmore Girls end? Did this come out like right after? Or were there like years in between? Gilmore Girls ended in 2007. So 10 years later. So Lauren Graham, for those of you who don't know, plays Lorelai Gilmore on Gilmore Girls. So that's the mom. Um, This book was so fun. I listened to it on audiobook, which Benny mentioned earlier in our intro that he like cried the whole time. I hit play and like 30 seconds in, I was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to cry through this. Um, but it's also so fun. It feels like you're sitting at Luke's, the coffee shop, and you're you're chatting with a friend and she's just giving you her life story. Like I have this is my first time listening to a celebrity memoir on audiobook. And there's something different about reading it, reading one and listening to the author, mm-hmm. you know, read it herself. They're the only audiobooks I can do. But it does, I feel like you get more out of it because it's this person telling you their story. Yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. Mm. I feel like listening to memoirs that are delivered by actors are really fun because they know how to tell a story. Like sometimes if you get a memoir told by someone who's like a regular folk, it's kind of boring. (laughs) But having like a celebrity memoir that's narrated by the person is really fun. Totally. So the book goes through her life story and it kind of specifically focuses on her time on Gilmore Girls her coming back to film A Year in the Life and then her career in between so I'm not going to detail the plot obviously (laughs) um, since it's her life story tell us her whole story (laughs) yeah so I'm just going (laughs) to highlight some of the things that stood out to me that made me love it so much so first of all I learned that Lauren lived on a houseboat with her dad in the Virgin Islands when she was like five which is oh my such God. a cool and random weird thing that like how many people can say that about their lives? Um, and I also loved the way she spoke about her dad in the book. Like she had little like, oh, it's my dad calling me. And then the phone would ring on the audiobook, And then her, oh my God. who I assume is her actual father, came on the audiobook, sounding like he was on the phone and like read. And this is why I say I love listening to this over reading it is because I couldn't tell you like it felt so natural in the audiobook that I don't know whether she actually wrote this like phone call script out in the in the paper book but like there was a whole phone call conversation with her father in it which was so interesting um another part that I really enjoyed she reminisces about her time on Gilmore Girls obviously but she goes season by season and she talks about like oh, in season one, I had, like, the craziest hair that was, like, hard to tame. And so, like, this is why, like, you know, it looks crazy. And she'd be like, oh, we talk about... What? A v- crazy hair? I would kill for girls like that. <laughs> well, you got to listen to the audiobook and hear what she has to say because she kind of, like, talks about how her hair is, like, really hard to deal with. Um, and which mm. is funny because if you ever listen to the Gilmore Guys podcast, they actually kind of, like slam her for her like having bad hair in certain seasons and it's like oh it's actually because like on the off season she dyed her hair red and then had to dye it back to brown and so it like is kind of fried it's really interesting 
Oh, I can see that. Sometimes it did look fried, but I feel like everyone's hair was fried in 2004. That's true. <laughs> so she she goes through season by season and she also talks about like specific she like kind of makes fun of specific jokes cuz Gilmore Girls, if you haven't ever watched it, it's like heavy on like the puns, pop culture puns. And so obviously a show that went from like your, you know, 2000 to 2007, when you're reading it, reading something about it in 2017, it's not quite like gonna line up so she makes fun of like oh talking about landlines and vhs players and it's 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 fun um but also in this section she doesn't have any problem critiquing the storylines in the show so if you're a fan of gilmore girls you know that there's a point in the show where it like loses its footing a little bit and there's a point when like the original writers left the show and she talks about that in the book and how how she would challenge the the writer's about things that she didn't feel like Lorelai would do. She'd be like, are you sure like this is who she oh, would be cool. dating? And it's interesting to hear that. Like you can totally hear how much she loved this character because if the script would be a little bit different than how she felt the character was, she'd be like, wait a second. And it, it's, it's a really cool thing to hear for any, whether you're a Gilmore fan or not, it's like interesting to hear an actor talk about a role with such love the way she talks about Lorelai. Generally, like when you watch it, she does carry the show. Like I know it's about Rory and Lorelai, but because of the nature of their dynamic, like Rory being a daughter and kind of a timid one, like so much of the snap that Gilmore Girls has is because she's so like as an actor is so charming. You're just like, Everybody wants to hang out with Lorelai. That's like half the appeal of watching the show. And it is a testament to how good of an actress she is. Absolutely. She also talks about her time off of Gilmore Girls. Um, she talks about parenthood and how she fell in love with that show in a similar way. Um, but she also... Was she in parenthood? Yeah, she was. So she also talks about how she was so single for so long in the public eye and she talks about how she brought her dad or her manager to like award shows and stuff and like people would see her dad on a plane and they'd be like reading a magazine and say oh or he would say oh that's my daughter like pointing to lauren and then they would say oh tell her it's totally okay that she's still single like i didn't meet my husband until i was late in life like stuff like that damn it was early 2000s yeah it's now. I feel like you could still catch waves of that. Absolutely. Today. And so she she kind of gives like the reader advice or like not necessarily even advice, but just like reassurance about like being single for a long period of time. And like she talks about how how it made her feel. And I don't know. I appreciate it while I listened and swiped through dating apps while I listened. I was like, <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> she. Another thing I liked, she gets into how she wrote it. So she wrote a novel um, and she talks about her experience with that. And she mentions how she would tell people about how she's writing this book and they would be, oh, wow, are you doing that by yourself? Oh. And she would be like, are you asking male authors this question? Mm -hmm. And then she talks about how when she was promoting it, they they would like be like, oh, it's all about you, isn't it? It's your story. Like oh, this is an original. You didn't create this like storyline. So she talks about like this, the sexism that she experienced um, with writing that book more so than she, she did in acting. And it's a really interesting thing. And then, okay, one of the best parts, which I'll end with, and I mentioned this earlier when we were talking to Benny, but 
her talking about returning to the role of Lorelai in A Year in the Life was so, so cool to to read here. Um, she kept a diary while she was filming and she reads passages from it. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah, it's really, really interesting. And like I said earlier, it gave me like a new appreciation for the reboot because like the first time I watched it, I'm not going to lie, I fell asleep a lot. I was like, oh. this is not it. <laughs> um, but after hearing her talk about it, I'm like, I need to give it a second chance because she talks about crying, like just saying lines because she was so happy to be able to be Lorelai again. Aww. And it's so, so good. Oh, oh, oh. So and I did not know this, but she is on the team to adapt the Royal We for TV. What? Which oh this God. was in 2017 oh. and I haven't heard much about it. I never even heard. Or maybe I did hear that when it came out. That actually does sound familiar. I wonder if it's still in the works or if it fell through. But I was like, oh, Kayla, I've got to let her know about this. Wow. Well, like I said, it hasn't happened. Yeah. So <laughs> five stars for sure. Ooh. I totally recommend listening to this because the experience was just so, so good to like, I really felt like I was sitting across the table chatting with her. At the same time, though, I got it from the library on the Libby app, but I, I kind of wish... I bought it because it comes if you I assume if you buy it and maybe it's this way with the library version I just couldn't find it but it comes with a pdf of all the images she references so she'll be oh, like cool. oh this th I took this jacket home from the set and I forgot about it until oh. a year in the life when I found it right before I found out I was doing it like stuff like that she'd be like see oh. photo 11 and then I'd be like where's photo oh. 11 because I didn't have the thing oh. but I, I have the copy I should let you borrow. Yeah, let me see the photos. <laughs> but um, Or if you listen to it and have a physical copy, you can reference the photos. But I love, love, loved it. I have yeah. a question. Wait, quick, quick. Yeah, oh, oh, probably the same question. Libby, go ahead. Oh, it's probably not. Well, maybe it is. <laughs> Who can say? Um, what's the title? The talking as fast as, you, as I can. Is that it like means. about? So... Gilmore Girls is known for the fact that they have very fast dialogue. It's very, there's mm -hmm. like very little pausing and silence on the show. And she talks about it in, in the book that a typical show of this kind would have maybe like a 30 page script for one episode. Their, pa their scripts would go upwards of 80 pages because there was just so much dialogue in there. Wow. So she would have to talk really fast. And this is actually... If you're if you've ever seen Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or Bunheads, which is other shows written by Amy Sherman Palladino, the original writer, um, she's known for her super fast dialogue in, in shows. So that's why it's called Talking As Fast As I Can. Is that your question, Emily? It was my exact question. <laughs> I just assumed because oh. like when you watch the show, I don't know if you've seen an episode, Wait, but was it really your question? There's like a. Yeah, yeah. There's like a point when they're just like, and oh my god, this and this and this and this. It's like their whole dialogue is delivered on like 10 cups of coffee. That's how it's supposed to sound like. Yeah, everyone's fast. They're all like, I can't, I can't describe it. If you watch it, you'll see like, that's, that's why I say if you've seen it through once, it's a really good background show. But the first time you watch it, you should pay attention because there's so many little like tidbits and like nuggets hidden in the fast dialogue that if you're just like scrolling on your phone you're gonna miss it but yep yeah, that's um talking as fast as i can from gilmore girls to gilmore girls by lauren graham
Yay. Um, Emily, what did you read? Um, pivot a little, but I think the concept of like leaning on something that's going to give you comfort came to me like today. So I read um, The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin because I feel like like a lot of America, I was staring at that election map and I was like, why do I feel like I have deja vu here? Um, and I just needed something that was going to help me interrogate the feelings I'm feeling from staring at the election map and kind of like how little has changed. And I also know that I love James Baldwin's writing because when I've read Giovanni's Room, which I talked about like on an early episode of the podcast, I just love the way he like communicates. So I knew that I would like find comfort in his writing, even though what he's talking about is not like going to be comforting. They're hard topics to interrogate, but I feel like, I don't know, for the for where I'm at in my mental space, I need like like things to focus on like and things to get my brain like I don't know just processing kind of like my perception of this country and how I fit in it and that's essentially what the heart of the fire next time is about going back to this idea about like what the book is about and why I picked it up today um it is eerie eerie how little has changed like the arguments and brought up in this when was this written how in 1963 um so it is probably not surprising to some and disheartening to all how little has changed so for context this book came out in 1963 on the cusp of like the civil rights act and at the time of malcolm x and elijah muhammad and you know, the idea of Black empowerment and fighting for civil rights. So this was right on the cusp of that. And then Baldwin talks about how those weren't new topics, maybe to white people, but Black people had been thinking this for a really long time. And it felt like there was finally a tipping point in the country. Um, And he actually goes into detail in his second essay. So it's really like two parts. The first part is um, a letter Um, written from Baldwin to his nephew about how his nephew's life will be impacted by the fact that he is a young black man in America and what definitively the world thinks about him kind of similar to I feel like between the world and me that recently came out a similar vibe to that and James Baldwin is like you're named after me I care for you but life will be hard for because of the things that white people think about you and the worst thing you can do to yourself is to believe what they have to say about you so it was a really touching letter and then the second half of the essay collection so that's like the first 10 pages it's a pretty short novel and then the second half kind of goes into Baldwin's life and upbringing and weaving in his philosophical views on what it means to be black in America and tying that to his experience growing up in Harlem and kind of like what he what life is like and and how he processed growing up in the way he describes it in very explicit terms is in a situation where he was meant to fail like he was like um white supremacy put 
us in the ghettos with the intention of us failing. Like, you just know that this country is stepping on every part of you and wishes that, you know, like, wants to quelch your humanity, but, like, I just can't let that happen. I refuse to let it happen. And it was interesting to hear him express it in personal terms and then break it down in logical terms because I feel like that's how my brain works as well. And, you know, I live in Harlem currently or in the neighborhood and it's impossible to ignore like some of the things that he noticed about growing up in what, like the 20s or 40s in Harlem and seeing similar patterns to today and kind of like the things that impact your upbringing when you grow up in this neighborhood. And he talks pretty explicitly about um, like incidents he experienced with police brutality in his life at a very young age and how fed up he was with people just not seeing him or letting him thrive for who he was. And because of that, he kind of leaned on um, like an evangelical Christian identity. Um, So he talks about kind of like leaning on the church and needing salvation and then finally realizing that white supremacy and Christianity are kind of like intertwined because it's tied to colonialism and these things that you can't separate and this was a big logical feeling at the time because like I mentioned Malcolm X and um the nation of Islam was a big movement so is the idea that God is white and he's not going to support the black people and um that islam is the black people's religion that was very like um hot at the time and baldwin was like pretty openly not on the fence i think with his historical perspective people have a tendency to group the civil rights movement into malcolm x or martin luther k jr which is a very reductionist way to look at that and Part of the interesting thing about reading Baldwin's ideas are he was like, I agree with some of the discussions that are happening from Malcolm X. I don't agree with all the outcomes. And I just feel like there are so many people (laughs) that probably felt like Baldwin that are just interrogating this idea that, you know, white, white people thrive on saying nothing and like perpetuating um racism and he takes a very severe stance on uh like white liberalism and white people and our willful ignorance in turning a blind eye to what's happening in this country actually the most interesting thing was he was talking about how there was like this whole passage where he was talking about world war ii was a big shock to white people because they didn't know they could be that cruel to black people, they were like, it's not that big of a shock to us because you do that to us all the time. It was only a matter of like the technology of eliminating a group of people at once. He was like, it was only shocking that it was documented because to us it happens and goes undocumented all the time. And he describes World War II as like an impetus for a lot of black Americans thinking about how they could go and serve their country and get treated better in a foreign land than like in their home country so that was really interesting to read about and I saved like this whole book was just like 
one big giant quote for me because did you highlight the whole love- book? <laughs> yeah, like you know how I like dog ear my book pages, and you're not really supposed to do that. Um, you can do whatever you want. It's your book. I like dog eared like the whole thing, and yeah, and part of that is just because I love his writing. It is like reading poetry, and his description of growing up as like a young pastor or preacher you know he was giving you know like sermons a lot as a kid and I felt like oh that's interesting that makes a lot of sense for the way he communicates because he's just a powerful communicator and even if you see him speak like some of his the videos of him talking are just really he's a profound communicator it's just like you can listen to him and just things just like click into place um yeah so like for that reason I think a lot of people should read any of his works but particularly the fire next time feels like a call to action or more like a call to thought you know like really reflect especially if you're a white person on what we're doing to like why is it that this, this was written in 1963 and like I was saving so many quotes <laughs> like why hasn't anything changed you know and like what do what part in that do we have to be accountable for and there was like one quote or a couple actually I started writing them on my phone and then I just started like highlighting the pages because it gained too much <laughs> so this is kind of a paragraph but he's talking about <laughs> in reference to white people and he's saying they are in effect still trapped in a history which they do not understand and until they understand it they cannot be released from it they have had to believe for many years and for innumerable reasons that black men are inferior to white men many of them indeed know better but as you will discover this is in the letter to his nephew um people find it very difficult to act on what they know to act is to be committed and to be committed is to be in danger in this case the danger in the minds of most white americans is the loss of their identity and i was just like whoa and that's just like the first page of this 100 page thing so if that got you thinking or if i don't know if you're processing your election trauma like i am and you just like i don't know it was weirdly soothing i mean it's not a comforting argument to like confront your privilege but it, it was it was soothing to read someone verbalize something that clearly <laughs> the country is having a hard time wrapping their mind around. And it's just like, it's soothing to put words to that because as he talks about in his book, half of the evil of, you know, like racism is that we pretend it doesn't exist. So looking at it in the eyes and having the words for it is really, really helpful. And James Baldwin is just like a treat. I love his writing. So I read it in like three hours. It was great. I was hooked. So, Emily, do you know about the fire this time have you heard of that I heard that was I think it, the most recent one right like who wrote that um well it's just Ward or oh no she like but I think she just it's like a um an anthology but it's like a bunch of different writers but I think it came out like on the 50 year anniversary so they're like revisiting the fire last time no this Wait, what is it? The, the title is The Fire This Time. The Fire Next Time. The Fire oh, This Oh, fuck me. Yeah, The Fire Next <laughs> Time. <laughs> oh, okay, so the, the title, like, so comes... 
I think yeah, I think they're revisiting the fire. Okay, now you're confusing me. I'm literally just <laughs> looking at the book and I was like, yeah, Libby, you're right, you're right. And we're just like gonna butcher no, the, the title. New, the new one. I think, but I was just saying because I think you were saying it's crazy how prevalent it still is. And I think that's what this one like dealt with directly. So I feel like you might be interested to read both. I don't know. Probably. But, I mean, oh, I obviously I'm this. gonna move forward with all of James Baldwin. Like my goal is to have his whole collection like in my library because i i just really like his writing can you remind because that was so confusing (laughs) what book did you just talk about okay so this is called the fire next time by james baldwin because it's from a bible verse i think that says god gave noah the rainbow sign no more water the fire next time i assume that's the bible i don't know i'm gonna stop talking about religion (laughs) it's it's definitely a bible (laughs) reference <laughs> Noah is in the ark. That sounds good. I assume five stars. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Kayla, what did you read? Um, well, when you were talking in the beginning, it was kind of reminding me of my book. I read Transcendent Kingdom by Yagiazi. Um, this just came out in September, and I've had it since then, but just hadn't gotten to it. And I picked it up while I was stressed watching all of the election coverage, and it's crazy because. This book is pretty heavy, but I was just so sucked in. Like I pretty much read the whole book today and it was kind of like, it's not a happy thing to get lost in, but I was just like so into this book. Um, Trigger warnings for the book though. It deals with suicide addiction and depression. Um, Okay. So first of all, I have to mention how beautiful the cover of this book is. I was like struck by it right when I saw it. It's like very minimal. It has like light pink and black and then all the lettering is like, shiny gold it's just like stunning like our tarot cards yes just like the tarot it's just, it's like gorgeous and the whole book was beautiful so the main girl is gifty and we meet her as she's a fifth year candidate in neuroscience at stanford and emily the whole time i was like you would like this because there's like so much science oh, good. <laughs> so. fifth year i gotta say i was just having a talk with my friend fifth year is a tough one i was not expecting it to hit me so hard so my my thoughts it seems pretty tough for her she's going through a lot um so I found this so fascinating she is studying reward seeking behavior she wants to know why people keep going after something that only briefly gives them pleasure even if it causes them pain in the moment and after so they go like super in like in rats she she's working with mice they go like super in depth about the experiment I I'm like terrified of rodents and they just like skeeve me. So like reading about the mice was like a little rough for me, but I got there because it actually was like so interesting and I'm not a science person at all. And it's also not written, like it was easy to understand. Like I got it. So if I could get it, you guys will be fine. But basically with the experiment, she like has this button set up and in the beginning, the mice will go up and press it and they get like a dose of insure. And then she gets them all hooked on it and they keep going back for more and more. And then all of a sudden when they press it, they get shocked and then the insurer comes. And then she studies how like some mice will never go back again. Some will a few times and then some still go back constantly for it. And then she stops even giving them the insurer, but there are still mice that keep going back and just getting shocked and shocked and like they don't get anything after. So that whole experiment ends up kind of being like, a metaphor for things that Gifty has dealt with in her life. And the way it's written is so interesting. So it starts off with her. She 
gets a call from her old pastor and he's like, your mom has fallen. I think they said like asleep again, but she pretty much just fell into like this deep depression again. And you know that it happened another time at that it was so bad gift. You had to like go stay with an aunt in Ghana. Um, so, but you don't know why like this has happened to her mom and like what, what triggers it. So she has the pastor like send her mom out to California from Alabama where Gifty grew up so she can kind of take care of her. And they don't really have a great relationship. And it was kind of sad to see Gifty like trying to take care of her mom and her mom is just like in this dark place, but they don't understand each other like at all really. Um, so you learn that her parents immigrated from Alabama to Alabama from Ghana before she was born and her brother was like a baby at the time and they moved to a very white area and her mom was like super religious in Ghana and she pretty much just like walked into the first church she saw in Alabama and it ends up being an all white evangelical church. So they were the only black family there and that things you were mentioning, Emily, like kind of come up like racism that gifty you like remembers processing as a kid by like the um like youth leader like there's like this whole like passage about it so they are extremely extremely religious and then as a kid gifty started writing there's this like passage she talks about from the bible that's like um oh i kind of remembered it from when i used to go to church but it's like god is the word or whatever word you know what i'm talking about the way, the truth, and the light, that one? No, it's like in the word of God. Oh. Okay, so she, as a kid, is like, oh, if I'm writing, then this is God, like my writing. And like her like seven-year-old interpretation of it was like really like cute. Um, so she starts writing in this journal. And so then there are some chapters interspersed where like it's what was happening in her childhood, but it's her writing to God in her journal every night. So... That's pretty much like all I can say for plot because what? <laughs> like writing to God? Like as things would happen, like when you find out why her mom falls into the first depression, it, that was like shocking and like very upsetting. So I don't want to like oh, okay. I can't really say things because the way that I read it pretty much like not really knowing much about it was like such a good experience. But it Wait. alternates between yeah. Oh, I think you're about to answer what I was just going to ask. Sorry. It goes from like the way this is written. It's so seamless. And I actually had to look up if this was nonfiction because it just like it because you're in it's all Gifty's perspective. And I'm like, this is a real person. Like she was just so well fleshed out. And you're like, you're with her as her mom like moves in with her. And then she's like telling some she's like oh like I should make like the food or whatever my mom used to make. And then it goes into something with her childhood. But it starts from like when she was born. So then you're kind of also going along that timeline and then she'll start talking about her science stuff and you get this like these like science facts that are kind of about like the brain and like things that are happening in her life and it didn't the science stuff did not feel like a textbook like it was actually really fascinating learning about like how depression like affects the brain and stuff. <laughs> Science is really okay, but not mm-hmm. to me. To <laughs> it there. is fascinating, but I think some like I'm like triggered from school when like I'd be reading a textbook and I'm like, this is so boring, I can't focus. The way that this was written and like interwoven into the story was so fascinating. It pretty much ends up being her like 
she grew up extremely, extremely religious. And then she becomes a neuroscientist. And she's kind of, you're with her as she's grappling with like, she talks about like creationism versus evolution. Like she's grappling, grappling with what do I really believe in? And the, I don't know, like the answer she came to was like really beautiful. And I think it's things that kind of, we've all probably thought about before. Um, yeah, it was just like, it was so good. And it's super fast. Like it's under 300 pages. I read it pretty much in one sitting because I just couldn't put it down. And even though it is, I'm sure a lot of us might not want to be picking up like heavy reads right now. It was just such a beautiful story that like, I just think you guys should all read it. Kayla, did you read Homegoing? No. And now I want to. You have to. Oh my God. I know. Homegoing is on my list. I don't think I put two and two together that these two. Yeah. This is her second book. I had no idea what this is about. I just saw the cover everywhere and now I'm like super intrigued because I feel like I mean, I didn't study neuroscience in any way, shape, or form, but I went from growing up super, not super, but pretty religious, and then going to, like, art school, which has kind of a similar, like, Mm -hmm. awakening kind of thing, where you're kind of grappling with, like, two different things, so I think that would be I was actually thinking about you when I was reading some parts. Honestly, like, I didn't really know too much about what it was about, but, like, I wouldn't usually pick up something that's super religious or super science. So I'm kind of, I was happily surprised by how much I loved it. Cause I'm not super religious. I didn't, I grew up like Catholic, but I didn't go to church much and I'm not into science, but I just like, I loved gifty. I just want like good things for her always. <laughs> Did you see how many stars? It was five stars. Awesome. Ooh, and what book was this? This was Transcendent Kingdom by Yagi Azi. Livy, what did you read? Bring us home. Yeah, here we go. Um, This is a good way to end. I read a book that has come up on this podcast before that I think all three of you have read that, and probably everyone in the world has read, and I had not. (laughs) No, no one's ever heard of it. Also, another thing, if you're, if you've been on Bookstagram for even like 30 seconds, you have probably run into this book. (laughs) So I'm late to the party, but I read, finally, Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Um, and this came out from Ballantine in March 2019, which I kind of thought it was older than that for some reason. I feel like this past year has just been 20 years in one. So that's probably why. But I finally read it. Um, I loved it so much. So and this is like funny that I'm telling you guys because you've read it, but mostly. Well, I'm excited because I briefly saw your notes and I was like, oh, I like don't remember oh, all of this. Cool. Okay. Because it, it like it's over yeah. a year. Give us a refresher. So the entire book is told through interviews, um, which I think I knew that about the format, but it, maybe I didn't know that it was like the entire, like every single part of this book is like an interview and a quote, which was honestly my favorite part of the reading experience and of the book as a whole, because I am obsessed with those like long form, like oral history type stories, especially about bands, but any like influential music type thing. I just think it's so fascinating to hear, especially with music, because it's so subjective, um, hearing, you know, 20 different people talk about their specific experience, like creating something that like millions of people then relate to. 
over like years and years is just like wow it's so fascinating it's just like a, such a cool <laughs> storytelling technique so I feel like I'm probably going to talk about the interview format way too much but it's truly my favorite part so sorry in advance um there's also so at the beginning of the book there's this like author's note and I'm doing air quotes because it's part of the novel like it's all fiction but this author's note is basically like the interviewer um stating kind of the aim of the book which is to get to the bottom of why this iconic band they were like on the rise in the late 70s and like headed to like superstardom like why they suddenly split up um because so, so like you start the book knowing that the band that we're about to read about like broke up and this interviewer is talking to everyone to try and figure out why basically. So I feel like when I first posted about this, some people were like, oh, I read this and I thought it was nonfiction the whole time. And I, when I was reading it, I was like, how did you, but then I read that author's note and I was like, oh, this totally makes sense. Like it, it seems like, you know, she's. And they'd only had like one album too. So I guess if. Yeah, exactly. For us now, you're like, oh, that band like existed for a year. I, yeah, no, I feel like it's feasible. Oh, yeah, it takes place mm-hmm. in the yeah. 70s, uh, right? I mean, it's kind of 60s and, yeah, 70s, uh, too. The book starts with interviews kind of just about, like, the two main characters, I would say, and, like, the big um, members of the band, which eventually becomes Daisy Jones and the Six. So it starts with um, Daisy Jones. She's, like, stunningly beautiful. Everyone always talks about her eyes and like she's she has this like sort of you're getting these interviews with people who are kind of like talking about her in almost this like otherworldly way like she's sneaking into like whiskey a go-go and she's 14 years old and like she's just like known you know like a contact company she's like a social like yeah kind of. she's like famous for being famous type of person and her sort of story you come to find is that like you know she's like on the music scene and kind of like sleeping with a lot of musicians and that kind of thing and then she is she's sort of like inspiring songs and like unwittingly helping men like write these songs and sort of serving as this muse figure and she eventually is like fuck no I'm not getting any credit like I want to write music I want credit for it this is what I want to do so like no and so that's kind of how she launches into like making her own music at the same time we're going back and forth between her and the other lead character his name's Billy Dunn and he is the lead singer of a band called The Six um, which he forms with his brother and then some like you know there's like the history of how that band formed um, I was obsessed with like you hear from all the band members mostly and um, everyone's personalities are like extremely distinct and enjoyable to read. And it's like especially hearing about how the six formed. I felt like this format came in clutch with those passages because you're hearing like Billy talking about like, oh, you know, we were all in this together. Like we, you know, we, we were all making decisions if the six has been together through it all and then you hear like the other band members and they're like yeah it was Billy's world we were just living in it but like whatever he needs to say at night like it's fine (laughs) um so so yeah that's happening at the same time as um 
Daisy Jones is kind of coming up in the music scene. So eventually a lot of stuff happens, um, but they separately, like Daisy and then the band, The Six, um, come to share the same manager. There's like a lot more, I'm kind of like skimming over some stuff, but like Billy has this, not high school sweetheart, but like, uh, you know, love of his life. She was like one of my favorites. I'm obsessed with Camilla. Yeah, she's such yeah, a good character. Yeah, that's her name. So she, um, that kind of took me by surprise. It's not a spoiler, but like um, early, early in their like band days, he um, starts dating Camilla and they are like, Uh, an item and a couple so like you you know you get like interviews with her too and she kind of like is with the band and everything they're doing so the band eventually moves to Los Angeles I think they form in Pittsburgh if I'm not mistaken they move to LA they're sharing the same manager and this is how the six and Daisy Jones meet is their shared manager thinks it would be a hit if Daisy like does vocals with Billy on a song and wasn't well so they yes so they all meet and there's this kind of like inexplicable like Billy hates Daisy for whatever reason everyone else in the band's like she's great like and this song is a hit because <laughs> they record this duet and it gets huge so eventually the manager suggests that Daisy like records a full-length album with the six Billy's like super against it uh everyone else is on board because they're like yes like she has a great voice she has whatever you know like this song that we did with her was a hit whatever she's got the look she's got the look the appeal and this is another reason like I loved the interview format because like there's all of this unspoken like Billy in complete denial about like why he hates her and like He's like, no, we were completely cordial. Like, I didn't have a problem with her. And then, like, Daisy saying, like, oh, he couldn't even, like, be in the same room with me. I didn't know what he had a stick so far up his ass, and I don't know what it was. And then the rest of the band just being <laughs> like, yeah, it was just a shit ton of sexual tension, but, like, we can't say that. So who knows? <laughs> like, I don't know. So eventually, Daisy joins the band, um, or at least for this one album, and... They become Daisy Jones and the Six. Um, She and Billy work together on the songwriting, which is a new thing because, like, he's never given the reins over to anyone for songwriting. The album that they record is incredible, and it's this huge hit, like, almost immediately. And I was imagining rumors, even though I know the the dynamic Mm -hmm, is based on the Civil Wars. Um... But yeah, it was very like rumors in my mind. I think she took inspiration definitely from rumors also. I just remember when I saw her like talk about the book, she mentioned that seeing how the Civil Wars had such sexual tension, which I can personally attest to because I saw them live and I really thought that they were going to do it on stage. Like it's so intimate. Um, After she saw that they broke up and then there was no explanation, that's like why she wrote it. But I think she mentioned that like she took a lot of inspiration from rumors also. Okay. Yeah, like the '60s California rock, yeah, soft that folk makes sense. Yeah. vibe. Mm-hmm. Well, and because it's like I loved like the parts about the songwriting process, especially with rumors in mind, because Fleetwood Mac was such a messy band, and like they were writing these messy. songs while like yeah, everyone was cheating on everyone, and loved it. This sort of is how that like the insider look at like the process. Um, and Daisy kind of reminded me of 
Stevie Nicks in the sense that like there's other I think there's one Christine other girl McVie. in the group. But Daisy yeah, but it was no in the cool. six, but like Daisy is Hearing clearly his- the star. And the other girl is yeah. also the keyboardist, Hearing, right? Yeah. I really liked her too. But it was cool because everyone like it starts chiming in once Daisy officially like came on. They were like Oh, yeah. Daisy didn't take any shit from Billy. So like eventually all of us started being able to not take shit from Billy. And that was like a funny. I don't know the dynamics. I could feel like I could talk about forever and I'm talking about too much. But yeah, so this album comes out. We follow the band as kind of tension and resentment builds like as quickly as their fame is building until this like fateful middle of the summer outside of Chicago night when it kind of all goes up in flames and like that's when they break up and and that's I'm not obviously going to get specific about like why that is because that's the whole point of the book I don't know there were like some twists and some unexpected surprises so and I kind of feel like Emily you've been talking about with weirdly with Tana French like how books become like why done it that sort of felt like what this was in mm-hmm. a different way obviously but like no murder you know at the beginning you know that they broke that we up know. what I said no murder that we know of uh yeah um (laughs) you know that they broke up and like but you're uh, yeah so then you just like are going through the history of it trying to figure out why and figuring it out at the same rate as the interviewer it was super like atmospheric of this I wasn't obviously alive in the 60s and 70s California but I feel like I've watched enough documentaries almost you you know like it had that atmosphere of just like reckless drug abuse and like glamorous people and everyone is sort of terrible to everyone but they're also so inspired no and creating such beautiful art that's going to live on forever um so it definitely like had that energy i thought it was really well written i'm once again just repeating that how obsessed i am with the interview format like i would love to read many more books like that so if anyone knows of any other like fiction oral history books please share them with me well i'll say that um um, evelyn hugo is kind of oh yeah i did see that's an interview it's kind of not in the same way but it's similar i'm not gonna say anything else that i've talked about how much fun like i had reading it there's definitely a lot of heavy topics like i kind of joked about the drug use but like there's addiction and like just a content warning if um you're worried about that but like you know descriptions of drug use um and some other stuff that I feel like would be spoilery but there are heavy topics but I also felt like the format helped a lot to kind of lighten the heavier parts of the the band's history as a whole um so I liked it for that use as well and then my ending note is there was one character in the band named warren he was the drummer he's the only person i trusted in this book he (laughs) i agree was i feel like he was the only one who was ever telling the truth because all his takes were very like the removed like deadpan guy on you know he was like sometimes sitting on the bus when he overheard stuff and he just like told you what he overheard and didn't try to put his spin on it and he was very like i refuse to get involved in the drama Because he's just there to bang. And that's a drummer (laughs) pun. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks, thanks. I worked really hard on that. Is that the episode title? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But really, I was every time he spoke. And his 
like interviews were a little more few and far between, but I was like, oh, Warren, we're going to get the truth on this page. <laughs> yeah, I, I gave that. it I gave it five stars and I'm I cannot wait to read more, um, at least more recent Taylor Jenkins read. And what book did you just discuss? Yeah, this is Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And what's up next for you? Oh, I'm going to read Riot Baby by Tochi Anyabuchi. Becky, what are you reading next? Um, I am reading Rebel Spy by Veronica Rossi. I actually already Ooh. started it. It's good. Emily, what are you reading next? I'm going to read The Memory Police by Yoko Nagawa. <gasps> oh, yeah. It's got a cool too. cover. Uh, Kayla, what are you reading next? I'm going to read Little Threats by Emily Schultz. Gonna or did I see that somebody? That I didn't start it. Good. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my God. The cover is so good. I'm really excited. It's like, I'm just going to say, so I received this copy and it came with like a Q and A with the author and I was reading it and I'm like, oh shit, this now I'm like a little scared, but it seems like my perfect book. It's in the nineties. Two twin sisters are like into like the grunge, like punk scene. Ooh. And one of them they were like in the forest at a party one night and they blocked out and their friend ended up dead. Yeah. And then like one of the sisters Whoa. goes to jail for like 20 years and then she's out and she's like, I don't even know if oh I committed God. this crime. And it's like the after how the aftermath happens. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Cool. Hey, where can they find us on the internet? <laughs> I'm at Becky in the bookshelves. Libby. I'm at sleep, run, read, repeat. I'm at the lazy library. I'm at K Red What, and you can find, I don't know why I'm laughing. You can find all of us at Books in the City Pod. Make sure you're using our hashtag My Books in the City when you're posting with our merch or something we inspired you to read. We really love seeing them, and it's so wild how many we get. Um, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or following on Spotify or doing whatever you have to do on whatever platform you're listening to. <laughs> Leave do what us you gotta do. <laughs> yeah. A theme um, of this week. Literally, <laughs> leave us a rating or a review. Go to our website, booksandcitypod.com for our merch and like literally everything else. Follow us on Twitter at BATCpod, like our Facebook page, Books in the City Podcast. And TikTok. I think that's it. Check out our handcrafted yeah. TikTok. We worked hard for the moment. Oh, Follow yeah. the Gilmore Gay <laughs> on TikTok. Yes. And if yes. you want to send us snail mail, it is 201 Allen Street. Unit 10033, New York, New York, 10002. And you can find that on the Contact Us page on booksinthecitypod.com. And if you're still listening, go to the episode post on Instagram. And should we do a coffee cup emoji I for so. Gilmore Girls? I love that. Yeah, that's perfect. And thank you to our Carrie Level producers, Diane Worth, Riley Harrell, Carrie Kissinger, Kat Martin, Brenna Collins, Amanda Borgia, Elizabeth Jamka, and Susie Southwick. Yay. Yay. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>